Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. So let's begin. In this episode of Chain Reaction, I want to discuss end-to-end analytics, and I'm going to give some examples of end-to-end analytics and how important it is to manage end-to-end analytics to understand your supply chain better. So, let's get started. End-to-end analytics is a term that describes a means of integrating data sources from different supply chain activities and process cycles to understand supply chain performance with the intention of developing improvement strategies. End-to-end analytics provides supply chain visibility. Here I want to understand why end-to-end analytics are needed, how you can set about the task of creating your own metrics to measure process performance in all the processes and cycles that your supply chain is involved in. End-to-end analytics should not simply be thought of as part of an enterprise resource planning system big fix. The hard thinking is in understanding what data you need to manage the end-to-end supply chain with from the point of origin through to the customer and, of course, beyond into the consumption and waste management cycles because sustainability and climate change are important to many buyers today and they're looking for ways in which they can become clean and green. End-to-end analytics provides the opportunity to share data and eliminate silo mentalities to better understand the supply chain for the benefit of everybody. In some ways, end-to-end analytics are easier to implement today with cloud-based systems and software technologies that gather data from a variety of sources, providing, of course, you understand what it is you're doing and how to integrate it. Comparable data requires careful planning and execution, and structuring data are the key to success. The starting point is to understand the processes, cycles and seasonality aspects of your own supply chain. So to do that, process mapping is a useful tool to begin the process of understanding your data need. And then you can design metrics that form part of the dashboard that inform your supply chain management, key performance indicators that shape and guide the strategies you employ. Process mapping has always been a very useful tool to understand the cycles in supply chains. And taking each step in the process and looking at what's involved helps with the end-to-end analytics. One of the very best examples I ever saw of process mapping was in the apparel industry in the United States. The project was called the Demand Activated Manufacturing Architecture, DEMAR, and it produced a number of process maps. For example, one was for men's cotton slacks, another was for bedsheets, and another was for men's nylon suplex parkas. And they covered the production processes, the business processes, and the specific processes for production and replenishment. The cotton slacks were mapped from the harvesting of cotton to the consumers pulling on the slacks. The bedsheet supply chain was mapped from, again, harvesting the cotton through to the consumer buying the bedsheet. So it took every stage of the process right through. And it included the movement of goods, the conversion steps that the goods pass through, inspection steps, 
the data behind each of the steps, the quality checks that were involved, and the time it took for each step to be completed. The Textile Clothing and Technology Center based in North Carolina, working with the University of California, developed the process maps on behalf of Antex, the American Textile Association. Once you understand the processes and the times involved in each of those processes, you can set about the task of measuring time in the process and deciding whether the time can be improved to get the throughput of the whole manufacturing cycle compressed so that you can deliver faster to the customer. And this is of paramount importance in some industries and particularly in things like fashion where you want to get uh, timely products to market. Understanding time and processes is of course important in all sectors, not least of which we can think about the recent development of vaccines for COVID, where it was very important to compress times to develop those cycles in the steps needed to make the vaccine faster. But that goes for any any sector. Because, of course, time is money. Or in the case of healthcare, time can be lives. I'm going to use retailers as an example of end-to-end analytics and the sort of things that they might be interested in uh, searching out data for. So one of the first things that you'd want to know as a retailer is uh, when do you have stockouts? When do they occur? And what data have you got that tells you when stockouts occur? Because the key thing is how can you act on the data? So you want to know when you can detect a stock out and you want to look at the sales history of a particular product or product lines or categories in store to understand what's happening when there are stock outs. And you can identify the cause of those stock outs. So you search for causes. Why why are we stocked out? Is it a problem with a supplier? Is it a problem with delivery? Is it a problem in our own internal supply chain systems or is it a problem in store? And they often say in retail that the last nine yards are the most difficult to manage. And what they mean by that is quite often SKUs, stock keeping units, are delivered to a store, but those stock keeping units remain in the store warehousing area after being unloaded from trucks, but they don't find their way to the shelves. So there's a shelf filling problem, for example. So you want to understand why stockouts occur, but the first thing to identify in end-to-end analytics is what stockouts are occurring. How regularly is it happening? Is it in peak demand? Is it because of a promotion? Or is it a stockout because the SKUs are just not selling through the store, so you haven't reordered, replenished, and then there's a sudden rush on an item? You know, is it demand patterns? Is it because of forecasts? The forecasting problem or demand is volatile, sporadic, and it's peaks and troughs. Everybody buys beer on a Friday night, but they don't buy it the rest of the week. Whatever it is, everybody buys bread on a Monday morning, but they don't replenish until Friday. So you need to look at when these things are happening. So time's important and the flow through of stock. And big retailers deal with thousands of SKUs and lots of combinations for the different stores that they run. Everything starts with the analytics. You have to have the data. So the data has to be gathered. And the most difficult 
sometimes when you're looking at end-to-end analytics is probably if you have unusual things happening in the uh, demand for a product or there are unknowns or uncertainties around a particular product or category. For example, I've worked with retailers where they've been introducing new product lines and when they put a new product line in, quite often you don't know what the demand pattern for that product is going to look like. And so you have to have data capture that will tell you what the pattern of demand is for a new line or a new product so that you can understand how the flow through of that particular stock item is going to take place. In the case of the introduction of new products, of course, quite often big retailers will scale out in the stores that they think that that product will sell through and they test it. They basically test market the demand for the item and they gather intense data during that uh, period of time to decide whether they're going to permanently stock a line or delete it. And if it's successful and the sale trial period goes well and the data says that it looks like this could sell through other stores, they will then scale it so that um, other stores will sell it through. And they'll carefully watch that data for certainly for a, a number of weeks to make sure that the stores that now stock it are selling through in the same way that the original trial stores did. If there's a problem with sales in certain geographic areas or in certain demographic profiles, then they will scale back in those stores and have much lower quantities sent to those stores. And they'll carefully watch the store replenishment pattern over a number of weeks to see how those items are selling through. And the replenishment cycle is central to the organization's profitability. So it's very important that you get the replenishment cycle right and that the quantities of inventory held by the retail organization overall is not excessively high. It's important to keep it within the bounds of budget responsibility. So the demand profile for each of the SKUs in the categories being managed or the stores being looked at and the data for those is very central to the optimization of stockholding. And of course, we all know as supply chain professionals that the balance between orders, sales, the throughput and the replenishment program is central to managing the stockholding and we balance the stockholding cost against the cost of the orders that we have to place and that's why we have policies or procedures in place to decide on economic order quantities for example so you have to balance those particular costs how much does it cost to place an order how much does it cost to process the order as against the stockholding cost if you excessively order. So it's an optimization problem. And of course, in mathematical terms, it's it's a linear programming problem. You can look at the constraints on that particular process and you can look at the throughput and you can optimize the position so that the constraints are taken care of while at the same time you've optimized the customer service by having the stock available when it's required by customers. And you have to adjust and readjust those quantities. There'll be other constraints such as, you know, do people buy more at the weekend or do they buy more during holiday periods, Christmas, Easter, 
festival periods, you know, whatever that might be, a New Year celebration and the various religious or cultural celebrations that take place in the areas where your stores are located. And of course, the seasonality. For example, we buy lots of hot cross buns around Easter time, but we don't buy any the rest of the year. And in fact, availability is uh, not as high for the rest of the the non-seasonal periods. Uh, Again, we'll eat uh, Christmas pudding at Christmas or we'll eat uh, particular meats in the festival seasons, but we won't eat them at other times. Summertime, you sell in the clothing lines more uh, swimwear, more outdoor leisure wear, whereas in wintertime, you will be selling outerwear coats to protect you from the rain and the snow and the weather. So it's about understanding the patterns of demand and making certain that the inventory holding reflects the pattern of demand and is balanced against that pattern of demand. Uh, And you're balancing things in terms of the order cost, the picking, the dispatch, the uh, freight costs, the inventory itself, and customer service levels that you wish to supply. So essentially, you want to minimize the stockouts while managing the throughput of inventory and ensure that you're not holding excessive stock. And that's the the key task of the data that you need to gather to understand the pattern. There are many different types of supply chain analytics. The sort of analytics that we're talking about at the moment for the supply chain are managing the end-to-end supply chain. So it's from the start of the process, point of origin, through to the customer at the end of that supply chain. Now, sometimes the customer is also the consumer of the product. And an add-on, when we talk about end-to-end analytics, would be to look at the ways in which waste is dealt with. So whether we recycle items at the end of the useful life and how we deal with that, those sort of analytics are becoming far more important as we enter a higher plane for sustainability. Customers are very interested in how their products are treated at the end of their useful life. And they like to see plans in place by organisations to treat those matters sensibly and meaningfully. But here just now, while we're talking about retailers moving through, one of the key measures, the measuring the category performance of each SKU going through the supply chain and the looking at the way in which assortment planning is done to see what kind of returns those different kind of assortments make in terms of contribution to the overall profitability of the business. And one of the key retail measures is the gross margin return on investment to drive assortment planning. The looking to measure the return on just a single constraint, which is the resource of cash. So Are you using your cash wisely? Of course, inside retail stores, shelf space is another constraint. You can't just pile stuff in to all the different retail outlets and think that it's just going to uh, find a home on a shelf where a customer's going to buy. You have to really plan the ranges and the assortments and the way you handle those SKUs inside stores. So you need good data about what each of the stores in the organization can manage. 
and then you can decide which categories to continue with or which SKUs within a category remain in the assortment and which SKUs are going to be deleted from the assortment and you have to create a balance for your particular customers and your segment of the market in your geodemographic profiles that matches the customer profiles so that you can optimize sales and profitability and that's key to achieving the business objectives so in my supply chain book i mention a number of performance objectives that are important for most organizations and when you consider end-to-end analytics these are some of the things that you want to be looking at to measure so the performance objectives usually the the five that I mention in the book are cost, speed, quality, reliability and flexibility. And so for example if your objective is to focus on cost you'll be looking at the cost of inputs, the cost of processes and right through to the outputs. So the sort of things you might look at in the objective of cost are the cost of raw materials, how much it costs in the, to turn those raw materials into work and process or progress and to develop finished goods stocks. So you'll be looking at the cost elements of each of those processes or each of those operations in a process to move the stock through as well as to work on the items. And that gives you an example of some of the measures of cost. And you'll be costing time in the process and you'll be costing the total cost of that process or the total cost of production. So all the transformation costs in the end-to-end supply chain need to have some kind of measurement if cost is an objective. And that means if it is an objective you're looking at efficiency in your supply chain. Then you're interested in delivery times. You want to know the minimum delivery time, the maximum delivery time, the average time it takes. You're looking at budget variances. You want to look at your resource utilization measures. You're looking at productivity in the processes, how quickly things can be performed in a cycle. You're looking at the cost per hour of a process. You're looking at efficiency measures. In other words, the inputs coming in and the outputs going out create value. And you're looking at value-added measures. If it's speed, that's your objective. You want to look at things like the inquiry to order lead time, the throughput time, production lead times, cycle times, average times versus standard times. There might be benchmarks in an industry sector or in particular lines that you're familiar with that you want to put into your variance analysis of those processes. There's delivery lead times and there's things such as the time it takes to get things to market. So the various cycles. Quality measures would be looking at things like zero defects or the percentage of defects in categories, the number of customer complaints being received, customer satisfaction scores, warranty claims, average time between failures, the levels of scrap, and the percentages of rework that takes place. And those are some of the things we'd have in place there. And of course, one of the things that supply chain professionals have been interested in in the past few years is the idea of uh, Six Sigma so that you have this zero defect built into your quality processes. 
effectively everything that's produced falls within a normal distribution with a mean with a variance level of minus 3 to plus 3 standard deviations from that mean. And that's where your 6 sigma comes from. And reliability measures, you'd be looking at the percentage of orders that get to the customer on time, how many are complete, the percentage of orders complete, percentage of orders on time and complete, the double measure, percentage of stock availability when you walk into the store or you order something online or through a business-to-business supplier-buyer relationship. Are they able to supply you when you want stuff? Those are the sort of things that you, you measure. And that might be one of the judgment calls that you make against suppliers that, you know, if they're unable, if they're unreliable and they can't actually supply you with goods when you want them, you might drop them from your approved supplier list. And you're looking at average delivery times versus promised delivery times. And in the flexibility measures, you're looking at things like time it takes to develop new products or services, the setup or changeover times in processes, the time it will take you to change capacity to scale things up or to scale things down, depending which way things are going in the particular product market domain, time to change schedules, average batch sizes, time it takes to increase activity rates, or the range of products and services that you offer. Are you offering too much? Is there too much variety in your organization? Perhaps you want to scale back on variety to minimize stockholding costs, but at the same time, you still want to serve customers. And there are various service level measures that you might want to look at. And so it's about understanding the end-to-end processes involved and creating measures that can understand through data, how you're performing against your particular performance objectives that you've set for yourself. So perhaps that sums the whole idea of end-to-end analytics up for you to think about and read about and trial in your own organization. And then you can set about the task of looking at various tools that can help you in that process, the likes of the process mapping operation, the likes of software that can sense when changes are happening in your particular process cycles, uh, the particular measuring tools that you have available to you. And it may be that you're able to share data with uh, suppliers and partners in that supply chain that effectively helps you manage the whole end-to-end supply chain process. So that's it for this edition of Chain Reaction. I hope this has been useful and I hope you've enjoyed listening to end-to-end analytics. See you next time. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. (laughs) 